from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Whoa! Single clap. Single clap. Damn. This is the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Barry. This is the Tiny House Podcast. I'm MJ. This is the Tiny House Podcast. This is Mark. (laughs) Now our our listeners will know. We always do this though, but remember we do the triple header by by the third show. We're like, we're done. It is off the rails. We're on it. We're on it and off it at the same time. (laughs) Oh my word. So what's going on? Um, What do you guys have coming up here in the... um, Time of year? In the, I'm not even going to mention the time of year. What do you guys have coming on? Hanging I am. Uh, <clears throat> I have been traveling a lot over the past year. Yeah. And I've decided that for the next 12 months, I'm not going to travel as much. The whole 12 months? For the last 12 months, I, have, I went to one festival per month. Ugh. So I traveled the, the equivalent <clears throat> of three months yeah. of 2017. So for 2018... Um, I'm not going to travel quite as much, but what's coming up, however, is, um, let me see. My first show is at the end of March. My first quote unquote gig will be at the end of March. Cool. Sign sealed delivered. Sign sealed delivered. It's nice. going to be fun to, I'm turning it into a two week road trip with Eris, the hippie teardrop. Um, headed to Joshua tree, California nice. to hang out with the Diedrichsen brothers. Very Should we fun. really be yeah. saying that your next, your, your most recent show was in March? Uh, by about this time hit this will be right about then yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so if anybody wants to join us <laughs> yeah we'll be opening we'll be at we'll have bourbon <laughs> and campfires and no so uh <clears throat> but other than that um yeah by then let me see by the time the show comes out i'll yeah. be up and running on my airbnb yeah yeah our, we'll our post-production queue is really impressive right now mm-hmm. yeah, it is awkward but impressive why is it awkward <laughs> Because it's so oh, because long. Our time, yeah, it's like because a time warp. Yeah, it's so long. Like when you think about going into the beginning of the summer, <clears> like <throat> the first part of this uh, summer of 2017, mm-hmm. we had no queue. That's true. So we have worked really hard to build up our queue. Very. But now, uh, but now, yeah, the shows are coming out so far from now. It's kind of, it's kind of difficult sometimes to connect the dots. But yeah, that's why we're evergreen. That's why we try. We try. Yep. 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 Bam, nice there, there it is. There. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you don't do. <laughs> okay, so let's introduce our guest since we have nothing else to say in the lively banter section. No, actually, before we start oh, that good. there, in good. public speaking, yeah. the best way to get people to listen is to shut up. Is and, to stop talking. Yeah, is to have that pregnant pause. Yeah, that and, and just talk kind of low like this so people got to really lean in a little bit like that. So that actually wasn't a mistake. That was actually strategic. That. that was a strategic their attention. segue. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about that part of the show sometimes? It happens. This has only happened like maybe three or four times in two years. But, you know, Perry and Michelle take, you know, 95% of the show. But there's an occasion where they will both look at me yeah. with the most panic bug-eyed look. It's like, <laughs> they don't have a question. We got a question. And it's like, Mark? And I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> okay. But I'm usually, you know, I'm yeah. on it somehow. Yeah. 
pretty a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked right. a little bit about the the dynamics in the studio in general. It becomes more awkward when we have a guest in the studio yeah. because of course what our listeners can't see but our guests um our in studio guests will attest to is the hand gestures that we got going on here. Yeah. So um the pregnant pause is also normally from the fact that we don't we have not yet employed our hand gestures for this show. We haven't. Mm-mm. So that's how we established sort of order of order of questions. Who's saying what? Um, right, exactly. And so we haven't employed our hand gestures Mm-mm. yet. So sometimes yet. that happens more so early in the show before we get our groove yeah. on. Sometimes it's full ASL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My hand signals are, are withheld because it's kind of cold in the studio today. It is. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It, I, I don't know why. Because, I mean, it's cold outside, so you think they'd have the heat on in the building. Yeah, you'd think. It's only 15 stories. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. It's cold. Maybe the heat doesn't maybe. rise. It's maybe. cold outside. It's, maybe it's cold outside. <laughs> but again, we're evergreen. <laughs> Speaking of the building, though, it may be cold in here, but I'm still fascinated with the whole hot water in the toilet thing. I know. You sit down on the toilet and you're, well, my scrotum gets warm. <laughs> Michelle's Michelle. not so much. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's also hot water in the urinal, too. Yeah, it's, it's weird. a feature. It's, it's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> so, if you're cold in the studio today, Perry, you yeah, can always can go, go sit, sit on, on the, the toilet. toilet. Exactly. <laughs> well, the microwave doesn't work, so you might as well get some hot water from the shitter. <laughs> now that we have our guest cracking up, we might as well introduce her. <laughs> Best intro ever. Warm squirt of water. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Episode named. Yes, right. indeed. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we have on the show today. Um, we hope. <clears throat> we hope, yes. <laughs> Leanne Stevens, who actually is tied to the tiny house movement in some way. And to be honest with you, we're not, at least I'm not really sure what that is. So that's one of the things we're going to find out today. Welcome to the show, Leanne. <laughs> she hung up five minutes ago. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I actually kind of get asked that question a lot. Like, you know, what are you doing in this? Because at this point in time, I we don't live in a tiny house, but I, I always tell everybody I lived tiny. I was tiny before tiny was cool because <laughs> I've lived in so all kinds and sizes of different spaces. So I have, I have, um, a website called tiny houses and beyond. And I, when I really got into doing this, I, I just, I kind of looked at myself as a reporter cause I was going to all these festivals and having a great time. And I was really interested in, in living small. And so what I thought what I could do to kind of help the movement was that I took pictures and videos and did uh, blog posts about people who were doing it and, you know, just to kind of inspire me and stuff. So, um, and then I, I've, I've lived, okay. I just have to tell you, I lived in a, I lived in a converted pool house, which was smaller than most tiny houses on wheels. So that was like my first tiny house before that I lived in a, um, I lived in a mobile home for five years and I kind of relate to a lot of people who want to do tiny houses because, um, my whole family was totally against the idea and they thought I was nuts and they were like, you're going to lose money and this and that. Well, I bought the thing for $5,000. I lived in it for five years. My lot rent was a hundred dollars a month. And a lot of that time I had roommates, so I didn't even pay anything per Hmm. month or, you know, I shared it rather. And at the end of the five years, I sold it for $5,000. Hey, what was that you were living in? What was that? RV. It was, it was a, it was a mobile home. 
So it was a regular. It was a two. It was a two bedroom, single okay. wide mobile home. Oh, okay, okay. Because and it was too big for me. Wow. So yeah, hmm. I rented half of it out. Cool. It's thank you for the, that. Is probably one of the best background introductions that we've ever done. Mm. Well, that's that's why. I, oh, wow. that's why I tried not to fill the gap because um, I wanted to give her the opportunity yeah. to uh, to do so. That was fantastic. And so, wow. So that was a very economical uh, uh, procedure you went through for the last for that five year period. Yeah, and it enabled me to do my dream career. Yeah. I, I was I was a teacher when I, I was a junior high school teacher and I was able to quit doing that and I became a horse trainer. Oh, uh, I have a friend who horse Because trains. I lived so economically. Hmm, interesting. What's more fun, working with horses or teenagers? Um, I, I got to work with horses and teenagers and I really actually kind of loved that. I, I, I mean, I know that sounds a little crazy, but I love the kids as much as the horses. Double whammy. So, mm-hmm. George <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was fun. But I got to send them home, don't forget. Right. And... You know, their parents have to love them. I didn't have to love them, so they were much nicer. Right, good point. Right, exactly. So how did you get into the, the converted pool house? What, what was happening there? So after I lived in the, the uh, uh, mobile home and I built up my career as a horse trainer, I wanted to have my own place. So I bought a 27-acre horse farm, which actually had two houses on it, but the main house was already occupied. And so I let the people stay in there, and I moved into the pool house. Why did you and do it, that? It was so small that the one, the, the bedroom had room. The, I had a double bed, which was pushed up against the wall on three sides. And there was one foot of space on the fourth side for me to get in and out. And then there was a wall with a closet. Wow. wow. That was a small pool house. <laughs> yeah. It was tiny. Where'd you cook your food and pee and poo? Well, no, I had a, be- I had a, I had a little kitchen and, and a uh, bathroom. Okay. So I did have that. I okay. mean, it was really it was really laid out similarly to a tiny house, except mm. the bedroom wasn't in a loft. It see. was on the ground floor. Was it operational pool that still existed? Uh, that's like uh, uh, kind of controversial. Whether oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to swim in it. We or not. love controversy. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was going on? <laughs> Turned into a skate park. <laughs> yeah, Koi I, I had no money, no money at the time, so I couldn't deal with the pool. I had to take care of the barn and the horses. <laughs> mm. How did you end up buying the property if you had no money? Well, that, that was really hard. I went to, I got turned down by so many different banks. Um, and I just kept going. I just, I, I was so, I have to tell you in my whole life and and anybody who knows me kind of knows this, but I don't give up easy. And sometimes that's been called that I'm very stubborn. And, you know, like my, one of my friends said, you're like a dog with a bone. And I just, you know, I, I'm just kind of like, I don't quit. And if somebody tells me, no, it kind of makes me mad. So I went to a bunch of different banks and they all turned me down because, you know, it wasn't really a residence. I wanted to do a business on it. I didn't have another income besides the business and it's the horse business, which is crazy. (laughs) And so they all turned me down. And luckily I found, you know, I I had, my brother was a commercial realtor. He took me to the bank he worked with. They kept it in-house back in the day when you could do that. And uh, the appraiser was a guy who just happened to love horses. And so he appraised it really hard. Really high because he wanted to see it going, so they hmm. loaned it to me. Wow! And I never That's missed cool. a payment. It was a good loan for them. Awesome, awesome. That's so cool. That is really cool. Well, it sounds like he, she kept a renter, right? Renters in the main house, yeah. right? I did. I did for a while. After after about six months, then they moved out because they couldn't handle all the people in and out. Because it was, you know, I had a lot of clients and stuff. Oh, which, good for you. you know, I thought it was fun. They didn't. 
so much. I think it was fun. <laughs> Horses getting in the house and everything. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I just met um, some neighbors that have a horse ranch. Um, mm. Big, huge equestrian. Out in Sheridan. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sherwood. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they have a yeah. They, <laughs> it's Less one prisoners. of those one of those suburbs out there. Um, I um, recently met them, and they are actually wanting to get out of the horse business because mm. of what she just talked about. All the coming and the going, and the people, and the horses, and the mess, and the smell. And you also can't like go anywhere. Um, I used to work for a horse trainer a million years ago, and they said um, I asked for a day off, and they said um, we don't take days off in the horse industry because. Wow. Who's going to feed the horses? Like horses don't take a day off, so you don't get one either. So I have wow. a special history associated mm. with them, um, horse ranches and how much work they are. And but it's again, it's sort of like the tiny house movement. They are definitely a labor of love mm-hmm. and a passion. Yeah, for some people. I, I think Not a horse that, fan. And, and I've said this I to other people before too. Them. I think that horse farms and tiny house people could coexist because a lot of horse farm owners because of what you just said they would love to have somebody else living on their property um, yep yeah, i get that could do a little caretaking now and then right. or you know wash the place when they're away or something like that well they but also I, wanted you know. to augment their income mm-hmm. and reduce their dependence on the the horses you know uh-huh. the clientele and so forth so so and they have um you know of course they it's normally have terrible. more land than they um you know kind of know what to do with right. but yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, and also people who have horses or who are boarding their horse at a horse rent, horse, whatever it's called, want, <laughs> to, visit, want, to, want to visit their horses when they're not at work. And so that means you have to be there when they're After not hours at work. And exactly, that's what I said. hours are there. Yeah. Yeah. That would suck. So you, uh, so you had a horse, 27 acre horse ranch? I did. I did. For how long? Um, oh gosh. You asked me how long. I don't know. Probably years or so mm. i had i had it before i got married then i got married and craig um we lived there for five years together and then he started well we still lived there after five years but he started traveling for work and i was gone so he was gone all week during the week and i was gone every weekend all over the country to horse shows i mean i was traveling uh-huh. really literally all over the country and even to canada for horse shows so um one of the things that really got me interested too in the whole tiny house concept is um well there's the whole concept of decluttering which craig and i are really into but also one of the things we always talk about is quality of life and that's been a real important thing to us forever and so um we we realized that you know we were never seeing each other and that's not why we got married so i i ended up selling it and moving to where he worked and then he was working all over the country i mean it was just kind of crazy and he's been doing that ever since. We sold the, the farm many years ago, but um, he's been traveling. We spent a lot of time in New Jersey. And, and that's actually what got me to um, write a cookbook because um, we lived in a hotel room. Well, the most recent time we lived in a hotel room for almost three years, better part of three years. And then before that, we lived in a hotel room a few years before that at least a year i mean so in in the hotel room we lived in for three years we only had a two burner cooktop and no oven and we don't like to eat out very often we like to do it for special treats but you know not on a daily basis because we can eat cheaper and healthier at home so anyway i started collecting all these recipes that i could do on just that two burner cooktop and then when i got into the tiny house world i was like 
oh, wow, this kind of all works together. So I ended up writing a cookbook called Cooking in Small Spaces. And um, hmm. that's it really came about because of that hotel room. You know, this is so, it's so, to me, it's so weird. Now we've spoken to two women who have created cookbooks specifically for people living in tiny, tiny spaces. It's just like yeah. really, that really niche seeming, but I guess it would be something that you'd need or want if you did not have an oven in your tiny house or, or enough other things. Well, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it illustrates um, the depth uh, and the complexity of the movement, right? How so? Um, and well, like you said, there's two cookbooks, which sounds like, oh my gosh, there's already two cookbooks. But when you think about conventional housing or you think about conventional cooking, there's thousands and thousands thousands of cookbooks. So I I think it's again, part, part and parcel to the, to the movement, to the growth, to the complexity. Mm -hmm. Everybody's sort of finding a unique opportunity to be involved and contribute, um, and it sounds like uh, she has as well. Well, it's interesting the thing that, that Leanne's doing, that, and I'd like to get back to that. But but I want to oh, ask you. Not. I want to ask <laughs> not the horse part. Yeah. Right? But I want to ask Leanne, what do, what does your husband do? Okay, so he's an IT professional, oh. and he works um, he works on well, actually, for the Department of Defense. He's on a project now. He worked in New Jersey for six, or I'm sorry for. I don't even remember nine years on a project for the Department of Defense, and now he's in Huntsville, Alabama, doing that. Okay. And then he he was out of work for six months, which was great because um, <laughs> so whoever says that we went through all of our money. It wasn't that great. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but we try to look at everything as you know as a different season in our life. So we try to appreciate the good things out of it. And the good thing about that was. We're, we live in a regular house. Now we have a house, but we want to put it on the market and we're planning to live in an apartment where he works and then we're going to buy a school bus and we want to do a converted school bus. That's like our big dream, but we got to sell the house and we had to work on the house a lot. So for the past six months, he's been doing a lot of work on the house. And if he hadn't been off, we wouldn't have been able to do that. So our house is on the market. And as soon as it sells, then we're on to the next season of our life. Very cool. I'm just really curious, when you were living in these hotels, was the government paying for the hotels or were you guys? Yeah, no, the government. That's what I thought. The, okay. the, well, the, he works for a consulting firm. Right, right, right. And so, yeah. Ultimately, the, the government. job was paying yeah. for the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so when you, so right now you're report, basically you see yourself as a reporter, so to speak, for the tiny house movement. Um, are you, are people paying you for your reporterage? No, I, I, <laughs> My real job is I'm a web designer. Oh, so, okay. Um, so I do that. I I don't know what I'm what I'm doing with the blog, except I'm just having so much fun, and <laughs> and I'm lucky because Craig really likes it too. So you know we've been going to every tiny house festival that we could get to, you know, for the past year, and I've been uh, getting to speak at them, and um, I'm really excited for the one in Pink Hill. Um, this March that is going to be, you know, a lot of fun. And I get to speak at that. We're actually going to put on a demonstration uh, about building something in that. Um, so that's going to be a blast. And Craig is, like I said, enjoying it too. And so, and everybody's like, well, do you build tiny houses? Do you whatever? And, and I'm like, no, I, I do web design, but I'm, I've done web sites for like, I did your girl's website. I'm doing, um, I'm working with Tom and Midge on go tiny 
and I'm involved with um, Laura's Little Houses. I did um, that website. That's Laura Wilson from Bears. Mm-hmm. And she has this new thing where that I'm working with her on, which is um, she gets all these inquiries about people looking for land for their tiny houses and needing financing and insurance. Mm-hmm. So she's putting that all together and I'm working with her on that so that we can provide um, information and help for people who need space. And, you know, a lot of people don't have time to figure those things out for themselves. So we're hoping to provide that resource. It's interesting uh, Abel Zill, I think is how you say his mm-hmm. whole name. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that he says about his philosophy of working is if you keep your expenses low, it gives you a lot of freedom. And one of the things that that enables is to be able to do the thing that makes you happy. And eventually, I think, I believe, if you continue to do the thing that you're most passionate about, eventually the money will show up. That's my goal. I, I totally agree. <laughs> God, I <laughs> hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, uh, there's some people who argue the opposite of what I just said, that you should not, you should, you should keep your passion a passion and find some work to fuel that. But I really think that if you keep on doing the thing that you love and you have the runway to do it and it's long, mm-hmm. it, it's long enough then mm-hmm. the money will show up. Oh, the runway analogy is pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Leanne, like how that. many shows did you make it to um, in 2017? How many year? shows? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, Five? At least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the ones that I saw you at. (laughs) Yeah. I went to New Jersey, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida. Wow. um, Florida. Yeah. (laughs) Florida's North Carolina. Right. Which one is your favorite? Say it again. Which one was your favorite? (laughs) Um, I, I... I have to, to say that's I don't want to answer that because I love every single one of them for yeah. different reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let. yeah. Okay, I know I know how I'm gonna answer. Okay. My favorite was the one in Pink Hill, Andrew Odom's uh, the the North Carolina Street Festival. Mm-hmm. Tiny House North Carolina Street Festival, because I met you there. Oh <laughs> it's getting sweet in Air here. Hug. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So, so tell me what are, what is some of the what are some of the most interesting things you've seen in your journeys around covering the tiny house movement? Oh, um, you know, I think the most interesting thing to me is not necessarily one specific thing, but getting the, the people that you meet and the different ideas that they have. There's so much diversity in how you can build it. I mean, you take this really small space. And yet people come up with such cool ideas mm-hmm. for how to function in that small space. Um, and, and they're not like crowded. I, I don't like, we have an, an aunt who's a hoarder, who was a hoarder. She's passed away now, but Craig and I came home from going to her house after she had to move out. And we started throwing out everything we owned because it was like just, so disgusting. I can't stand that. So I don't like clutter and it's amazing to walk into tiny houses and not see clutter because people are so clever mm-hmm. and every one that you go in has some different new fascinating idea. Like, um, I've seen two different drop down beds. Okay. One was mechanized and the other one, um, he used a, a bike winch and a boat thing, you know, to drop it down. And so it was, <laughs> it was manual, but it, it worked for him. And, um, 
you know, I've seen people use hammocks. I've seen pull out cabinets. I've seen, um, under, of course, a lot of them have underbed storage. There's, uh, a tiny house that you can stand up in the loft. I've seen one with the loft, um, having the dining room and or having like a dinette set and then the beds underneath. And mm -hmm. just the differences I think are what really make it cool to me. And the fact that, um, you really can, there's no right or wrong. So you got to figure out what is what you like and what's best for you. And, and, it, and you can do it, you know, you can totally do whatever it is. Yeah. So I guess that's it. Yeah. The creative nature of the, the creative nature of what it means to be human is being very robustly demonstrated in the tiny house movement. Everything from, as you just said, um, how the units are designed interiorly, but also how they're pulled and mm -hmm. how they're situated and where they're put. And People refer to the diversity of the tiny house movement as far as each um, tiny house being as unique as the fingerprint of the owner. Ooh. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, we, we talk to other, we talk to builders or we talk to, you know, other manufacturers and they talk about customization. Well, we'll customize. Um, I think even with all that customization, you know, oh, you can pick your wall color and your countertop or something like that. Um, I love, I agree with her. I love my favorite thing. One of my favorite things about the tiny house movement is the uniqueness of the designs and the inspiration and the people that come up with these really I cool agree. ideas. I yeah. agree. Uh, so what is now you may not want to answer this question, but if, if you can push past that, that'd be great. What is some of the, without using names necessarily, what are some of the worst things you've seen in the movement? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay. I, I can answer that. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I can tell, I can answer that. I was I'm not raising even reluctant my, to answer that. No, I was raising so my I, hand but too. First I have to say something, and this relates to my cookbook, that one of the best things I've seen in the movement is how awesome so many people are. Like when I did this cookbook, I wanted to include recipes from people who live in tiny houses or who are, you know, in the movement. So I started reaching out and I was really scared to do it. And I started just like, I, I was just, you know, I, I try to be, be not afraid and what's the worst that can happen kind of thing, you know? So anyway, I started reaching out to all these people and everybody was like, yeah, sure. And, and so in the cookbook, there's recipes from a lot of different people and their pictures are in it, you know, people that are in the tiny house community, but everybody was so nice, whether they gave me a recipe or not. I, I cannot tell you the amount of support and encouragement. People have taken the books to sell, you know, for me, things like that. So that's the great part. And then the negative thing is the flip side of that, which I see happening right now. And it's bothering me a little bit. And that is the competition and the, the fact that it's like the, in some cases, the DIYers are getting pitted against the builders and, you know, with the regulation. Well, in fact, I just got somebody messaged me last night and they're like, well, the DIYers can, can be the downfall of this whole industry. And I'm thinking, what? And, you know, I, I that, that does bother me. Um, I'm seeing some kind of meanness in there <laughs> a mm. little bit. And I'm hoping it doesn't go that way because it's, way too cool and and there's also a little bit i've seen a little bit of um and i've felt this a little bit too in with the competition um where it's like i don't currently live in a tiny house but um i'm we're moving to downsize and we're you know like i said we're totally into decluttering and we're into quality of life and all those things that go along with that mindset but 
you know, there's a little bit of um, kind of eliteness. Yeah. Like I, I see people criticizing people who don't live tiny the way they think people should live tiny. Yeah. And I think that there's no right or wrong. You know, it's like I was saying earlier about what people laugh at me kind of about what I eat. Well, you know, I don't care what you eat. I think to to uh, to put a little bit more of a spin on it, you know, it's kind of like the RV movement, the RVs versus the tiny houses. Yeah. You know, there are people yeah. in the RV movement or people that, that travel in RVs full time and they're like, oh yeah, there's my tiny house. And I do agree with her. People are like, that's not a tiny house, that's an RV. Yeah. You know, like they're, um, that's why I brought up the term of eliteness. Mm -hmm. I've definitely been accused of that myself. So I have to be very careful. Um, but at the same time, it, don't you think that's a little bit the nature of people or, or sort of inclusion that. or mm -hmm. exclusion mm -hmm. or, or um, my son, for instance, he hates to be generalized. Like mm -hmm. I don't, I, he won't even let me call him a millennial because that's like too, it's too, too you know, restrictive. Yeah. yeah, too restrictive. Yeah. Um, don't you think that's a little bit just the nature of people? Or do you find a, a particular uh, spin on this story that's more, more um, uh, what's the word, negative, I guess, than, than you would expect? I, I, I think it is the nature of people, but I think, I think it's a defensiveness and I get that. It's the same thing with the whole food thing. Um, people, for some reason, need to justify their own choices. So if, you know, the way to justify, if you're not confident in your own choice, then sometimes you justify it yep. by saying somebody else's choice is wrong. Yeah. And that's kind of sad, but I read a thing a long time ago that I totally believe, and that is the more confident you are in your own choice, the less you need to have other people's, the less you need other people's opinions. Amen, you know, sister. Less, you Amen. don't need to ask somebody else, if, you know, should I do this? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. ironic too. I think that the, I presume that the person who said that the DIYers are going to be the downfall of the, of the movement, that person who said that was probably a, a commercial builder or something like that. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's funny because from my, from my listening, what that sounds like is someone who's afraid of losing a business opportunity mm -hmm. in a space where a lot of the, those kind of builders are losing their shirt anyway. So it's like the DIYers were the foundation of this movement. And if you look even broader than that, the movement has always been around. There's always been tiny houses all over the world. Mm -hmm. This isn't, if someone just, someone, who was it? Oh, it was that guy who I was going to try and get on the show mm -hmm. who ghosted us. It's, he was saying, you know, I don't, he, this guy is a builder, Leanne, and he was saying, um, I don't understand why people are making a big deal about these tiny house things because tiny houses have been around as long as people have been around. More what's, than big houses. <laughs> exactly. So like, what's the big deal he was saying? And he was saying that, you know, he didn't use the term DIYers, but people in the olden days, people built their own houses anyway. So this DIY thing, you know, he was just making a big deal about it. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I was thinking about that this week, um, that exact subject matter that people are sort of like, yeah, what's the big deal? They've been around for a long time. Um, for me, the big deal was the fact that I could build my own mm. without asking permission mm -hmm. um, and that I could turn a project into a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't just a matter of fixing up an RV, which I've done that too, you know, but um, it's, it's just, wait a minute. For people that say that, they mm -hmm. don't, again, I hate to use the commonly, they just don't get it. They <laughs> don't understand me. <laughs> understand us. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's differences, but you know, they're all good. I mean, depending on what you want. I mean, honestly, if if I am making a choice, and Craig and I, we love to travel. Totally love to travel. So we we're making the choice to do a school bus because I don't really want to do a tiny house on wheels and travel up and down the road constantly. You know, I think that's more difficult than doing it with an RV or a school bus. If I'm doing the tiny house, I don't necessarily need it to be on wheels. It can be on a foundation probably, mm -hmm. but you know, to, to travel in the way we want to travel, we've kind of looked at all the options and we want to go the school bus route. And, and what, what is it about, the increased difficulty of a tiny house, the fact that you have to tow it? Yeah. The, um, anytime I've towed a lot because of the horse. Right. Okay. So right. if right. I did do the tiny house and wanted to travel with it a lot, first of all, it would definitely be a fifth wheel. Um, but you know, they're heavier. They're a lot heavier than, so if you buy an RV, a fifth wheel RV, that's why, you, you know, you don't need to not use an RV trailer for a tiny house because the tiny house is heavier because it's like, it's your regular house. You know, mm -hmm. it's got better materials, better insulation, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a weight. It's usually taller. Mm -hmm. um, most people with the lofts try to get pretty close to that 13 and a half foot maximum, which is the maximum and not in your part of the country, but in many parts of the country. And so you've got that. And then the toe behind, if you do the, the typical one, that's just the, tow behind or tag along as I call it. Um, that's always harder to pull. Even with a horse trailer, fifth wheel is much easier than a, than a tow behind. Hmm. Um, and with the, with the schoolie, you know, one of us can be driving and the other one can be taking a nap or making a sandwich or whatever. Hmm. Um, and so that makes it easier too, when you're on the road a lot. Yeah. So you're not concerned. Um, speaking of um, sort of, I guess differences and, and similarities. So you're not concerned with the the school buses having a harder time to park than the um, tiny houses. Why would they have a um, harder time? Yeah, a little. We're a little bit concerned. I've been kind of reaching out to people to find out about that. I mean, I know that, but it, it doesn't matter. I think if you're in a tiny house or a school bus, um, some of the more elite RV parks are not going to let you in. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's because it's a hippie mobile, right? Again, I, <laughs> yeah, to answer exactly. Perry's question, yeah. it really has to do with people's perception yeah. of the nature of the transient, the transient nature of school buses. With school buses, there's no doubt you're going to come and you're going to go and you're going to do whatever in that funky looking school bus, right? <laughs> so they do yeah. have, um, they do have a sort of different connotation, yeah. even than different than tiny mm. houses. And so um, I know people that have land listings or available listings for tiny house houses to come park and they're like okay you can do an airstream or you can do a tiny house but not an rv and not a school bus like oh, that's interesting. the the perception is that specific yeah i could get i get that though i get how because you know the time the school buses conversions that i've seen at the festival here do we see any in colorado i don't think so no yeah, the ones I've seen here, they look pretty janky. I mean, they're not the most aesthetically pleasing things. In some of the interiors are, but they look like, like I said, like hippie mobiles mm -hmm. or ganja wagons or something like. That. <laughs> <Ganja> <laughs> I Hashtag. seriously no. Listen, that's so funny because Craig has wanted to do this for like thirty years, and I just never even would listen to it. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> not doing that. Tacky, not doing it, yeah. not doing it. And then we went into. Um, uh, Midwest Wanderers, which I did a blog post on them, Luke and Rachel, and 
and it, theirs was not fancy at all on the outside either. And I have found out why they're not fancy on the outside, but theirs was not fancy at all on the outside, but the interior was amazing. And when I, and he raised the roof and it's just beautiful. And when I said that, I was like, okay, Craig, we can do a schoolie. Hmm. But I found out why, why, I think why a lot of times the outsides don't look very nice. It is so super expensive to paint them. Really? Yeah. I, the and I can't give you, Craig could tell you more exactly, but he, He's done a lot of research on this and the paint is really, really super expensive to get the right kind of paint and make it look nice. Mm. You know, like you, you, if you want it to be a little bit shiny and look like, you know, like a, a motor home or like, yeah. like car type mm -hmm. paint or yeah. something, you've got to think about that huge surface that you have to paint. So it's expensive and that's why people don't do it. Mm. And Michelle just said the masking, you mean around the windows and the lights and things like yeah, that? Yeah. So I painted, you know, I painted <clears throat> Betsy. Um, mm -hmm. so my secret there was I took Betsy to, to, uh, to automobile places to be repainted. And so Betsy for the, for our listeners, she's a 1964 Scotsman RV. And I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with that vintage, mo you know, patina. <laughs> um, well so I actually had her, uh, <laughs> painted matching the same manufacturer's color as my convertible. So I took her to the car places to be painted and they wanted, you know, like a couple of thousand bucks wow. because she, compared to a car paint job, mm -hmm. she was really, really big and, you know, it didn't provide and their, their paint booths are fairly small. Mm -hmm. So here's my secret for you. If you ever um, decide to go about doing this. So who you want to talk to is you want to talk to someone that actually paints semi trucks. Oh yeah. Because oh, their paint idea. booth yeah. is massive, massive. Yeah. and my little teeny tiny trailer sitting in their paint booth, because um, I took it to them, and they're like, oh, pfft, that'll take us like two seconds. Um, <laughs> my paint job, so I got a quote from several different auto places, and they wanted like 2000 2500 I actually had um, Betsy painted in automotive paint um, by a guy that does semi-trucks for 400 bucks. Oh my gosh, wow. that was great. Yeah. Wow. And, great um but with buses, however, the masking, that would be a huge yeah. job labor-wise mm -hmm. to mask, what, 16 windows but or 20 still, windows. But still, it would look so good. Yeah, I you, agree. If you could afford to do that. So that's my secret. Well, if you I ever end up doing it. I have some fancy design ideas that I'm not giving away yet, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that he really wants to do too. So that's going to add to the expense in ours. But I told him, we, we, whatever it costs, we have to figure that out. You know, if it takes us a little longer, whatever, because... The outside's got to be really cool. Yeah. yeah so mm -hmm. go to a semi truck. Yeah. The poor people that I paint love school. That. I bet you there's people that probably paint be. school buses too. I would like, just well. park it in the wrong part of town. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you could end up with something pretty cool <laughs> looking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know what was really cool? Um, um, and this is this is a story about why I love the tiny house community, which you know I include school buses in. But um, the the there were two festivals in November in last November in Florida. And there was a weekend between them. So there were three school bus. There were, there were multiple school buses at both of them. I don't mean there were only three, but three of them got together. And it was so funny because, you know, I go around, I take pictures of everything and whatever. And I kept looking at this one bus and I'm like, I, I haven't seen that bus. So I walked inside and I was like, wait, I've seen this bus. And I was like, I know you guys. I just did a blog post on you last week, mm. but I didn't recognize it because in that week off, they painted it. They painted it. it. Well, <laughs> between the two, two of the <laughs> other ones, Three of them got together. One of the person, one of the people had a place where they could park. So three of them went to this one person's place and parked their school buses and helped each other paint them wow. in that week. Mm. How did they paint them? With rollers or spray cans or what? 
airbrush? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Because that's a that's a pretty it's a pretty sophisticated thing mm-hmm. to do to get it done right. Usually, right. it's best if you do it in the paint. What do you call that? Paint booth. The paint booth with a spray gun. Right. Yeah. At, at the very least. Yeah. To get it get the right finish. I just thought that was really cool, though. That you know they took that week and they helped each other and yeah. The I, I don't know how they painted them. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, by the way, it's also as long as we're on the subject of schoolies, um, <clears throat> this past week, which is old news by the time the podcast comes out, but. Um, insurance is now available for schoolies. How awesome what? is that? That's mm. cool. Yeah. World's catching up with the progressives. Exactly. The- mm-hmm. That's a new thing. The tiny yeah. house movement has actually pushed through with the insurance companies. Um, I mean, they were, they were, um, ins- they could be insured as vehicles, mm-hmm. but they couldn't be insured as, you know, like mobile homes. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so now mm. they can be insured as for the, for all your bedding and all your stuff huh. on the inside as well. So really oh, cool change. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, cool, cool change to the, again, the tiny house movement in general just continues to push the boundaries mm-hmm. of what tiny house living is, um, of what it means to live tiny, and uh, eventually I'll come around too. I wonder if you could get, and, and I'll, just so you listeners know, no one, no one is paying us anything to mention anything on the <laughs> show. So when I say what I'm about to say, we're not getting paid to do this. I wonder if it would be possible to have like the people who designed the casita to design the interior of a bus. Jeff, are you listening? That could be pretty freaking interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, <laughs> write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Just that modern, mm-hmm. clean mm-hmm. look with a lot of uh, technology application. Just plug and really play, cool. kind of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They could get that glass. They could actually put the glass in the windows exactly. that actually cha- tints so mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to put in all the curtains. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You'd just be like with a clapper and then all your windows <laughs> go dark, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, Leanne, you have sparked an amazing conversation. I didn't know it was going to go as well as it went. And I said this in the last show, too. Um, this <laughs> has been really fun. Good. Right? Oh, yeah, I'm so glad I've had fun. I, I really... I've so excited to get to be on with you guys. You're just decided to connect. Scratch that off your bucket. Right. <laughs> uh, I know. Your tiny bucket. Tiny bucket. Shaped like a thimble. Okay. <laughs> so Tiny House listeners, thank you so much for listening to yet another show. It is springtime. Get outside and have some fun. <laughs> Michelle wants to say something. I know. I totally fucked up. What do you want? Uh, you want hey, by the way, we are now on Facebook. <laughs> oh, that's oh. right. Sorry, Rick. That's right. <laughs> we're on Facebook. We're now on Facebook under Tiny House Podcast. So um, come say hey and come say we'll hey, say leave hey. a comment. Yeah, yeah. So comment and uh, follow our page. And yep. uh, so yeah, we. <laughs> it only nice. took us two years. It's two two and a half years, whatever. It yeah. only took us two years, but yeah. So every single show is now posted on Facebook. Isn't it also um, on Macy's group? Not yet. Not we're yet. gonna we're gonna see Oops. how well we get that done. Oops, sorry. We're still negotiating. Okay. We're still negotiating that. But maybe Dang by it. the time the show comes out, we've crossed those T's and dot those I's, and okay. that's true too. Okay, cool. We'll drop a load there too. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys have a great weekend. Or <laughs> what am I talking about? Have a great week. Oh, you too, third, Perry. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Happy Fourth of July, yeah. everybody. <laughs> okay, bye. Good time in Florida. Bye. Namaste. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. 
you tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>